Hey, everybody, and welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm your host. I'm the executive director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church. And as usual, but in a new location, I'm here with my co-hosts, Mary and Nick. Guys, how you doing? Doing great, Father John. Doing great, brothers. And where are we? We're in our brand new studio, which is Yay. awesome. So we got a nice little uh, studio that we've put together. You did an awesome job, Nick, together with uh, our intern and good brother, uh, Chris yeah. Epler. Shout out back to Chris Seminary. Unfortunately, what we don't have is uh, central air. So we got a window unit, and we had to turn that off because it gets a little loud. <laughs> So, so we're it's a little talk warm. Really, we're going to talk really fast. <laughs> fast. It's a six-minute podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Nick, um, what's the topic today? Today's topic is we need a win. And so if you're a... If you like sports at all, this 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 will be really... Uh, you'll understand this very quickly. But Father John, let's pray for that win. Yeah, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us right now, uh, upon Nick and Mary and myself as we speak. Help us to be um, joyful, attractive witnesses uh, of what it is that we want to share with everybody today and anoint the ears of all those who hear us, uh, that they might be filled with courage, hope, and unshakable confidence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary, set us Thank up. Thank you. Yeah, so, so Padre, uh, we ourselves here at Acts 29 have been very taken with the scene from the miniseries, and we've shared it with a set of people. I think we, we did that actually last week in Cleveland with some brothers and sisters, and uh, you had an opportunity to share it with some friends over the weekend. Um, and we have found it to be a very helpful and powerful metaphor. So can you tell us? more about that. Yeah, we did. We used it in Cleveland with a Legatus group. It was a great time, and I think the people responded to it well. And so the scene comes from The Man in the High Castle. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this or not. So it's it's an Amazon series that was made. It was a, a book that was written, I think, in the late 60s, maybe early 70s. Uh, and it's a strange story, so I'll preface that. I'm going to try to do my best to just set up this scene. So uh, the uh, one of the lead characters, perhaps the lead character in the story, is a woman who's living in um, the United States, but the premise of the whole story is that the U.S. lost World War II. Hmm. And so the United States has been subdivided by the Nazi Empire and the uh, Japanese Empire, and it's kind of divided more or less, you know, like two-thirds from the Rocky Mountains east is Germany and from the Rocky Mountains west is uh, Japan. And so they're living under tyranny and oppression and all this kind of stuff. And this uh, lead woman, her sister is involved in the resistance movement. And her sister's killed. And as she's dying, um, or before she dies, she hands her sister this little bundle, or big bundle, actually. And so her sister the lead character opens up the bundle and it's a newsreel. And so she goes into this, you know, like movie theater, there's nobody there, pulls out a projector and she spools the film and then watches it. And all you see is you see her face as she watches it, this film. And it ends and she goes back and she rewinds it, re-spools it, watches it again. It ends, she does it again. It ends, she does it again. And as she's doing this, you see her whole countenance start to change. She starts to smile. She even mouths the words like, yes. She starts to cry. And then you slowly start to see what she's looking at. And what she's looking at is a newsreel of the Allies landing at D-Day. And uh, Churchill and Roosevelt 
uh, signing or accepting the unconditional surrender of uh, the emperor of Japan. And as she's watching this, her boyfriend walks in and says, what are you watching? And she says, I'm watching film of the war. And he says, yeah, I can see that. And she says, it shows us winning the war. And he says, but we didn't win the war. And she says, that's what they told us. Mm. That, that is the image to me that is just so profound. There is so much in that, I think, that's uh, significant for us and that's worth unpacking. You know, the, the, every time I watch this, you know, like her response to this very fictional setting uh, is to be suddenly transformed from discouragement to encouragement, from despair to hope, from, you know, deep darkness to there might be a different way of looking at reality. And what we have as disciples of Jesus, huh, isn't trying to proclaim uh, some fictional account. It's about telling the truth. Uh, does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, so what's the win, Father John? I mean, what, what is it? Yeah, so that probably doesn't make uh, immediate sense, right? The win is to tell the story. So we, we've been around uh, the country the last year telling the story in one way or another. It's not the only thing we do. This isn't the only thing that's necessary. It's worth saying that. But it is maybe the first thing necessary, and increasingly so now. It's to tell the story. And when we tell the story, when we preach the kerygma, when we preach the gospel, we see in people's faces even more so what happened to that woman in the man in the high castle? We, we had people say things to you. We were out in South Dakota last year, Mary. What would the one person come up to you in the middle of that big lay event? And they just said, oh, gosh, I'll never forget it. She said, how come I haven't heard this yeah, why, before? Why have I never like, heard this before? And she was she was in her mid-50s. She right. w- had been Catholic all of her life right. and had never heard the story, which is... We, we hear that over and over again, right? I mean, it's just a, yeah. a common refrain, right? So what happened in that woman happens in reality when we tell the story. So, you know, back to the scene in the, in the high castle, right? The, the, the boyfriend says to her, but we didn't win the war. And she says, well, that's, that's what they told us. So, like, Mary, what are, what are they <laughs> telling <Yeah>. us? <laughs> so the they are the various voices that daily come at us and assault us in so many different ways. And, and the voices say something like this, like, God is distant or absent at best, or the church is on her last legs, mm. or you're on the wrong side of history. And especially with this cancel culture, we're just going to cancel you. Yeah. That's your future, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, being at the... Uh, at one of the presbyteral conventions or convocations with Archbishop Vigneron here in Detroit. And he used an image uh, with the guys uh, that was just so f- profound. I've never, uh, never forgotten. He says, you know, brothers, like our task is not to be the last ones to, you know, turn off the lights and lock the doors. Like, but we live that way oftentimes, I think, as, as Christians, as priests, mm. uh, as people who serve in the church. I mean, it just looks like we're losing left and right. And that, that, that's why we've got the title, uh, We Need to Win. Yeah, but, the, but really? No, the church is not losing, and Amen. the church grows perpetually young. I mean, that's a line from Pope Benedict, right? The church grows perpetually young. And so, you know, Mary, you just said this, you know, God's distant or absent. That's not true. God is not distant. He's not absent. Um, I mean, since the Enlightenment, we've had this constant underlying lie like, you know, God doesn't exist. And if he does, 
he's irrelevant. You know, yeah. we're, we're our own down here, you know, uh, trying to figure it out, you know, a self-made man, man made in man's image kind of idea. He's upstairs and he doesn't <laughs> yeah. have anything to do with us. He doesn't care, you know. Right. Um, and so right behind that is like the church is on her last legs, right? I mean, the, the, the church is expiring. She's outdated. She's old-fashioned. She's um, she's lost the war. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right. She's lost the war. She's lost the war. And therefore, so have you if you belong to the right. church, right? right? Unless you somehow modify and adapt right. and whatnot. But the church is the bride of Christ. That's right. And, and, and so the church is growing young. She is victorious. In the end, uh, Jesus already won. But this, this for me, goes right back to why we need a win. You know, yeah. so you, you think about sports analogy. I said that in the beginning. Um, sometimes a team goes on a slide, right? You could think of baseball, basketball, even football. You're like, man, we've lost three games in a row, ten games in a row. Right. We just really need a win. We have to get that confidence back. We have to kind of like, uh, you know, get get the team feeling like, hey, we can do this. Remember the natural. The movie The Natural? You're too young. I don't. Oh, Robert man, Redford. Yeah, Robert right? Redford. Remember, they, they go on this huge losing streak. They bring oh, in the psychiatrist. He's like, losing is a disease <laughs> as contagious as bubonic plague. <laughs> but it's true, right? I mean, like, we just, we adopt this attitude. It, all too often, we see Christians adopting an attitude that's like, we have nothing to offer. We're probably, you know, breathing our last couple of days or weeks. There's, you know, like, what's the point? When, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. And, and it, Mira, is, it is a, it's a change of mindset. Yeah, so we, right? we refer to people, uh, or we refer people over and over again to that phenomenal book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. There's a great section in there, right, on the necessity, the attitude. So this is what the author writes. In this regard, we might begin by considering the apostles soon after the ascension of Christ. They had newly been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and had the words of their resurrected master ringing in their ears, go and make disciples of all the nations. This was the quintessential apostolic situation. One can imagine them gathering for their first evangelization committee meeting, and we'll add God forbid. Right, so so the so what was the agenda? We've all been there. So what was the agenda, Father? <laughs> yeah, bring the gospel of Jesus to the world. That's the agenda. So I'm looking at the agenda, and it says our resources. How many bishops? Eleven. Priests, same number. Hmm. Deacons, none. Uh oh. Trained theologians, zippo. Probably a good thing. Religious orders, <laughs> zero. Seminarians, none. Mm. Seminaries don't exist. Christian believers, a few hundred. Uh oh. Countries with Christians in them, one. Mm. Church buildings, zero. Schools and universities, zero. Written gospels, none. Mm. Money, very little. Big problem. Influential contacts in high places, next to none. And the societal attitude towards us, ignorant to hostile. Yeah, and so, so he goes on to say, I just love Gosh. this section in the book. It, I mean, you, every time I read this, I just feel like God's filling my, my lungs with oxygen, right? So he goes on to say, if the apostles had assessed their situation from the standpoint of the strength of existing Christian institutions, they would have been overwhelmed by discouragement. Facing crises in every direction, vocational, financial, catechetical, educational, and numerical. And so many people that we know who serve in the church that we've been ministering to over the last year in a particular way, they are 
discouraged because mm-hmm. the resources are dwindling. It looks like we're losing, right? But this is what he goes on to say. But they weren't discouraged. They were filled with joy and hope. They had great confidence in their Lord, in their message, and in the creativity and fertility of the church. They knew that their task was to be used by the Holy Spirit to grow the church, and they knew the graced means by which it was to grow, and grow it did. The church, he goes on to say, in an age like ours, needs to have the same confidence in the power and the goodness of the message she bears in its life-changing potency, in the church's power of regeneration and growth, especially those in positions of influence and authority, need to be convinced that Christ is the answer to every human ill, the solution to every human problem, the only hope for a dying race. They need to be convinced of the bad news that the human race has by its own rebellion brought a curse upon itself, and has sold itself into slavery to the prince of darkness, and there is nothing we can do under our own power to save ourselves. But they need to be equally convinced of the good news that God, in his mercy, has come among us to set us free from our sins and from slavery to the devil, and that for those who turn to their true allegiance, the nightmare of life, apart from God, can be transformed into a dawn of hope in an eternal destiny, They need to know, we need to know from our own experience that obedience to the gospel is perfect freedom, that holiness leads to happiness, that a world without God is a desolate wasteland, and that new life in Christ transforms darkness into light. That was their attitude. That's the attitude we need to have as we go about doing our work as disciples. Yeah, and and that's not to say anything about like, oh, it's so naive, or, or oh, it's so triumphalistic, but it's not. Um, now, who knows? A Marian apparition could take place, right? And suddenly we could have our own sort of Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe moment, and millions of people in America could just start converting to Christianity en masse. Right. More than, more, I mean, as far as we can see, though, we probably can expect some some rocky days, yeah, some more I, difficult I, circumstances. I just think it's worth encouraging people along those lines. I mean, again, that, that that's really worth stressing. Like, it looks like, I mean, barring the Marian apparition, it looks like things are going to get bad. Yeah. You know, and just increasingly so for us. Meaning what? Meaning it's going to be harder to be known as a disciple of Jesus. But so what? Right? I mean, that's the point of the apostles and their attitude. So what? Why? Why so what? Because I know the Lord. I know what he's done. I know what he's done in my life, and I know he's the hope for the world. And so I want to share the message. I want to share the story with a world that has no hope. We're watching, we're watching a country go up in flames right now. It has no hope apart from the gospel because the problem is the human heart, right. and only God can fix the human heart. And, we, and, and we've and we met him. That's right. We know Jesus is the remedy for all of this. We know that he's the cure. We, we've, we've experienced rescue. Right. Right? So this is a target-rich environment. The whole world is missionary territory, right? So, so buckle up. Target it might get rough. Right. So what? Find good friends That's to go right. alongside with and tell, and tell the story. The story. And, uh, and honestly, we have to stop acting like death is the worst thing that can happen because St. Paul says... The scriptures say 
death is to gain. Yes, that's, 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 Christ, that, is, that is the victory we claim in Jesus, is death can't hold us, right? That's right. So as bad as it could be or as, as negative as it can feel, there's hope. We can be, we can be very hopeful. Um, and that's, that's, this just gets us back to the win, right? The story and, uh, and, and why we need it. Just to be really, very clear, we need a win because I'm, that's, that's the story. The story is a win. To tell the gospel is a win. And the narrative we're hearing is decline. It's negative. It's my parish closed, my school closed, all this, not to mention the media, the fire in the nation. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that feels like an onslaught. But if we tell the right story, the real story, right. the truth, it brings tremendous encouragement. And, so, when, and when we do it, when we do it, people respond. That's right. Not everybody. Right. Not everybody responded to Jesus. Right? If everybody didn't respond to Jesus, they sure as heck ain't going to respond to me. Right? You know, um, if, if Einstein can't figure this out, me on a couch with a bag of chips. But it's not right? our task to convince Brian Regan says isn't going to figure this out. Right? So, but but I, I don't need to worry about that. We don't have to convince them. Just tell the story. That's right. It's not up to us to do that. Spirit will. All right. So, very concretely, back to the win. How do we tell the story? Yeah. So. Um, you know, uh, the three of us, together with uh, your family and some other friends and uh, the rest of our team, we were together for um, the celebration of little Anne Catherine's baptism not too long ago, right? So your mm-hmm. new daughter. And baptisms are an amazing opportunity for priests, deacons to tell the story, right? So we just came across this news story a couple weeks ago or whatnot where one of the bishops in the country told his priests, like, don't preach long. And, you know, like, God bless this guy. I'm sure he's got some good reasons. Um, I can't disagree more more vehemently with something like this. I think oftentimes people make the mistake of going, uh, people can't listen long. I don't, I totally disagree with that. I think people love stories. What people don't like is rambling. And unfortunately what they usually hear when they come to church mm-hmm. is rambling. But the story is the greatest story ever told. And it's true. We just need to break it open. Right. And so I found Baptisms is a great way to do this, and you can do it, you know, relatively quickly. I've I found very practically a, a big help for me is before we even begin the ceremony, I just start praying and preaching from Colossians 1, 13 to 14. So Paul says in Colossians 1, he has, God, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And then I just slowly break that open. I go, so this passage from Paul helps us understand what we're about to celebrate now and why we're going to do this. So God has delivered us, Paul says. He's transferred us, moved us from the dominion. The the word can also mean the rule or the authority or the government of darkness. And so, you know, like I said to you and Emily, your wife, you know, like little Anne Catherine, cute as she looks, the objective reality is she belongs right now to the dominion of darkness, meaning what? Meaning though she has no personal sin because she's so young, right? She's bound mm-hmm. in slavery to the powers of sin and death. And God is about to do something for her. I'm going to hand you guys, when we're done with this ceremony, a little baptismal certificate. And I don't know what you're going to do with it. And I don't know what you think it means, but here's what it means according to Paul's words. This is like a new passport. This says today, Anne Catherine moved. She got new papers. 
She went from being a child of darkness bound by the powers of sin and death to an entirely new citizen. She's now a citizen of heaven. She's an adopted daughter of the Father. And that's what's about to happen. And then you just work back from there. And you go, well, now, what the heck happened that God would need to deliver one of his creatures from the dominion of darkness? Like, where did that come from? Mm. And then you just remind people really quickly, like... So there's only one God. He made everything that is, everything that is that's good. Unfortunately, one of his creatures rebelled and went to war against the creature that God loves the most. That's us. And this creature, without getting into details, it's just important to know or we're not going to understand what's happening in baptism. This creature deceived our race at the beginning of our history and got us to rebel against God. And the result of that was that we sold ourselves into slavery to him without knowing what we were doing. And then God, in his incredible love and mercy and patience, to go to war against that creature, he became a man. And he became a man to destroy the works of the devil, is what 1 John says. So I often quote, uh, when I'm doing a baptism, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, you know, the story of Christianity is the story of how the king landed in disguise, if you will, he says, to take back what's properly his. And our task, until he comes back and puts it all back together, our task is to be agents of sabotage. And so in that little quote, in this passage from Colossians, as we break and open a baptism, you're trying to help somebody understand, okay, something amazing's happening here. A child or an adult is moving from the stronghold, the government, the authority of sin and death into the government of freedom, right? I'm going from being hated into a new mm -hmm. house where I'm loved mm -hmm. by my father. How do I know that? Because he sent his son who became a man and, he's, and his son as a man went to war against our enemy and he defeated him by his death and his resurrection from the dead, which means sin and death have no power over me anymore. I'm going to die, but it can't hold me. I still sin, but I don't have to because I got power inside me because of what God's done. And so now after that's happened, our task, your task as parents, you and Emily, your godparents of, or Anne Catherine's godparents, is to help them understand that story. Like this is what you belong to. This is what happened to you. And now your whole life is supposed to be dedicated not only to thanking God, but to being, as Lewis calls it, an agent of sabotage. Now, this is a dangerous thing to say, right? It's, it's intentionally provocative. What the heck's an agent of sabotage? Well, to be clear right off the bat, the weapons, if you will, that we use are goodness, truth, love, mercy, forgiveness, integrity, character, uh, and on and on, right? And what we're trying to do our mission as disciples until the king comes back is to blow up, if you will, everything which is still manipulated, twisted, uh, deformed by the enemy of our race. Not to blow up people, right? To, to recreate, to transform everything in such a way so that it comes more and more into conformity with how God originally intended it to be. You can do all that in a baptism. And what happens when you share that story? Because you're just not talking to parents, and you're just not talking to godparents. You're talking to everyone who's attending that baptism. And all of a sudden, they hear, oh my gosh, that's the story? And oftentimes they'll say, if I'd have known that was the story, I, 
I, I would have been about telling the story. Right. But I haven't heard it that way before. And maybe the world wouldn't be in the mess that she's in or it's in. And do you remember at Katie and Trevor's baptism, you asked Trevor, what is it you're asking for your son that you were getting ready to baptize? Do you remember what he said? No. He said, I want my son rescued. Ah, I want rescue. I heard that. I just flipped. I thought, blessed be God. And of course, they get it anyway. But it was so impactful. Like, I want rescue for my child. And then we broke open the mission of a disciple. And then somebody came up to you after the baptism. What'd they say? And he said, if I, that's what I was referring to earlier. He said, if we knew our baptismal call, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. And the world, that's why these are just opportunities that are ripe with grace. Right. To reach out to everyone who's there who's never heard the story before or not heard it quite that way. So go back to Man in the High Castle. What happens? This person gets like, I have a sense of something to live for. I've got a mission. I've got hope. I've got encouragement. I got to tell somebody about yeah, this. Exactly. I got to tell somebody mm-hmm. this is not what's true. That's, right. That's what we need to do as disciples. And when they hear it, Everything changes, and and everybody can do this. You can do this as a mom or a dad. Mm-hmm. So good friends of ours, Joe and Charlotte, they teach a class called Becoming Catholic, which is what they renamed the RCIA class because nobody knows what RCIA stands for because <laughs> the church is, <laughs> church is great at using language that nobody understands, right? And so they take the first few weeks in RCIA, boom, just teach the story. You know, catechists, take the beginning of the year, teach the story. Catholic school teachers, take the first week, teach the story. Um, people love Stories. They need to know where they came from. I want to know where I came from, right? And oftentimes, I think even as colleagues and I and the places where we work, I mean, we're inclined oftentimes to lead with the church. Mm. Good but point. if we led with a story, that's exactly right. And, and, and as parents, I mean, my my kids are real young, but Noah's headed towards six here shortly. And it's the unique thing about being a parent is I get the opportunity every single day to continue to pull my family back into the narrative, right? So, for example, Noah, something bad happens to Noah. Why do bad things happen? Right. There's a bad actor, right. right? Talk about Satan. Talk about hell. Talk about right. death. I mean, to make sense of things. So I, I can constantly... So I can share the, I can share the gospel in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment, to be sure, but I can every day be pointing back to what's taking place here. Jesus has claimed victory. You know, people themselves aren't the problem. That's right. Satan's the problem. Right. And, 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 and they equip him constantly to know that this is, what's, this is what's taking place around you and that the mission is, as he says, to save souls for Jesus. <laughs> and, and, you know, even in the middle of this pandemic that just keeps going on and on and on, I mean, we have a chance as disciples, right? If we're living differently, undoubtedly, people are going to say things to us like, you know, you seem kind of calm in all this. And, and you can respond to that with, yeah, you know, it just doesn't phase me. Or you can say, can I tell you why? Yeah. And if they go, yeah, I'd love to know why. And you just go, well, let me just tell you how I see the world. And then, boom, you got an invitation to tell the story really quickly. That's, that's what we wrote in the book, you know, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that's coming out. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the way we tell the story. It's meant to be a tool for people so that they can figure this out. You know, the book is, uh, what do we call it, Rescued, the Shocking and Unexpected news of the gospel, right? So, um, yeah, th- th- this is huge. And Mary, you made a point earlier, you know, like, it's, it's not on us to convince. This is so powerful, too, because, uh, and, and important to remember, I remember right before I was ordained to the priesthood, I was already a deacon. I was doing the Ignatian exercises. I was praying one day, kind of an extended reflection with 
um, Jesus's resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday. And so, you know, like, here's, here's this incredible, un- literally unbelievable story that she's been entrusted with telling, that the one we love who got slaughtered on a cross, he's alive. Yeah. How am I going to convince you of that, right? And Jesus says to her, go to my brothers and tell them, go to Galilee and they'll see me there. That's it. And, and I remember praying with that just thinking, oh my gosh, that is so helpful to read. Like, it's not up to me to convince you. I think oftentimes I've been in discussions with people over and over again over the last week or two where they're like, yeah, but how do I convince them of this? It's like, you don't have to convince them. It's not on you to convince anybody. You just have to tell have the to story. Tell you know, um, let the Holy Spirit do what he does. We just be, you know, like throw the seed around, you know, tell the story, let people know what's going on. And that's our task. And we let God do all the rest. You know, and I maybe just circling back to how we began, I mean, we're God's constantly giving us images and metaphors about how to tell the story. And, and Father John, we were together last weekend. Uh, you celebrated a small intimate mass uh, with our family and some friends, and you shared the story about the man in the high castle in your homily, and it so resonated with one of our dear friends, uh, Mark Martin, and he said, oh my gosh, after Mass was over, he goes, man, we got to make sure that we're watching the right reel. And man, that is so right on, right? Because because culture has its own narrative. It's, it has its own reel. That's right. It's a great line. It was a great line. Message of the week, watch the right reel, not the white wheel, the right <laughs> reel, huh? And if you watch the right reel, if you know the story, if you know what God has done for us in Jesus and you look or strive to live as an agent of recreation and transformation, then you don't have anything to be afraid of because the God who conquered sin and death, the God who rescued his creation, the God who's triumphed over the powers of darkness, that's the God who's with you. And because he is, don't be afraid. You were born for this. 